Hello and welcome to the At Seed Podcast. I'm your host, Justin McRoberts. This episode of the podcast takes us deeper into the ongoing conversation here at the At Seed Podcast um, at the intersection of psychotherapeutics and spiritual practice, this time with author, pastor, speaker, leader, coach, uh, Nicole Eunice. I, I think you'll pick up in the conversation that, um, well, we haven't had a truckload of conversations. We've actually been trying to have this conversation for quite a while. Uh, I, I definitely find in, uh, in Nicole Eunice a, uh, a kindred spirit, not only because of our affinity for, for young life and for kids, uh, but even in the sort of odd gravity we both feel towards the word pastor and a love for the institutional church. She lives in Richmond, Virginia, although she speaks all over the country. And her most recent book, uh, the one we'll talk about in the conversation, is called The Miracle Moment, How Tough Conversations Can Actually Transform Your Most Important Relationships. Um, I really enjoy the way she enters into the into relational dynamics at a granular level and is hyper practical about her, um, her approach to people, her approach to ministry, to philosophy. Um, I enjoy this conversation. I think you will as well. How sure, much of what's just, happening in your life right now is what you planned? Nothing. I know. I know. I just, I really did think the pastor was like, that was it. That was the end of the road. I was like, I oh, found yeah. my thing. I was going to do the thing. I, your book was super helpful to remember, huh. you know, we do jobs and we have work and actually the work, the work is bigger than the pastor job. is no different than this job. It's just a different title and a different. Did you, wait, so when you set out was like, was because you're, you're, like publicly, you have this kind of twofold. Well, my experience of you, you, yeah. you, you kind of twofold thing where it's like pastor, counselor, therapist person. So pa pastor and then counselor, therapist person. Like you exist yeah. in this intersection. Was the plan? I'm gonna pastor, and then therapy was. And in, 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 so in, I was a ther. I was a therapist because it did not feel like there was any way to be a female in ministry in the year 2000. Like I didn't know one person. You're joking. In the South. So you were in ministry, no. and you're like, I can't figure this. I you wanted yeah. to be in. Let's, like, and also, and let's like zip way back. And like, I'm a West Coast soul. I grew up in California for most. I was a military brat, but this Southern evangelical culture is very foreign to me. But I live here, and. Mm. I, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, 22 years old and I'm in seminary. There's not one female in any of my classes and I'm, I'm a pragmatist. And Dave and I are like, why are we spending $50,000 on a degree that you literally are not going to <laughs> So, but that was the Lord's plan because God was like, hey, baby girl, why don't you come be a therapist for a while? Learn a really? few things about people before you open your big mouth. So I spent like 10 years as a therapist before huh. I then ended up in the church and then your drive, was to of, your drive was to pastor and care for people spiritually i mean i just knew i was made to lead and mm. and knew i was i was pro i probably did know that i was like a, a teacher um but being an encourager and a counselor was like a you know i could make money and have boundaries and be a professional huh. so anyway yeah Talk for a minute about like, so you said, and I, I resonate with this. I don't live where you live, but I, I, I resonate with this up to a point. I still live on the West coast. Um, I win. Um, and, uh, I know you do. I, I know, know you live on the West coast. I, know I, I do, do want to visit you. I know. I, do I literally come, I probably come to California like three times a year. I just like That's find right. my way there no matter what. So I was just in Tennessee and Nashville, Tennessee, which is a different version of the South. It's the new South mm -hmm. and you know, 60% of the people, I think stats now, like aren't from 
Nashville, much less Tennessee. Right. Why? And so let's talk about home for a minute. Yeah. West Coast feels more home to you. You live in a place. So when I say the word home broadly, like what does home mean to you? And in that context, why why do you live where you live? Yeah, great, great question. So there was a there's a there's a saying in the army, which is home is where the army sends you. So very, <laughs> yes. very much, you know, an interesting nomadic experience as a child. Yeah. Um, that really did like exacerbate a sense of not belonging, but also like created the coping mechanism of being a chameleon, being able to fit in with a lot of different kinds of people, knowing how to engage, which of course, both of those things continue to be patterns in my life. Um, My grandparents lived in Long Island and that was the one stable location that we could visit. Really? It wasn't until like that we would go back to and it would be like one home that we would be in. Um, so very strong memories and feel like a lot of resonance with that experience of my grandparents' home. My, um, it wasn't until I was traveling in ministry and I was in South Africa quite a bit. Um, Doing what? And it would be a place. So um, a friend of mine who I work with now today, he, he started a residency program for young leaders. As I was also starting a residency program for young leaders, we didn't know each other. We met because he was coming to the church I was working in. To, to sort of raise support. And we just hit it off. Like we just yeah. had so much in common. And he was, I, I had planned an international trip for these new residents. It was our first year, but I didn't exactly know what I was going to do with them. I just had budget. Right. And he's like, I think you could come to South Africa with that budget. I'm like, there's no way we can come to South Africa with that budget. And he's like, no, the dollar's strong. I bet you can. So I'm a pr- pretty adventurous. So like, like next thing we know, I'm on an airplane with these three, you know, 20 somethings to South Africa to catch up with these residents. We continued that on for several years, but it would be such a place of retreat, such a different experience that one day I was walking in the wine fields behind this retreat center. Yeah. And the climate is so similar to Northern California. Like it's, it's another Mediterranean climate. I had this visceral experience of like, this is what home is. Home to me hmm. is walking in this climate, in this terrain, being outside by myself such a strong memory from like my ages eight to 11. Which is like a physical tangible experience, like how you're actually feeling in your body in the place. Exactly. So like here I am like in my early forties and I'm thinking, oh, now I know what home is. Like, this is why this climate and this terrain, this is where I felt like I had my first mystical experiences with the Lord, like at age eight, nine in a very lonely time in a very beautiful place, but I was alone a lot and alone and outside a lot. And so I would call that home is that feeling, um, particularly in nature, but not really in one location. So very cool. So, so then you, so it takes you to where you are now. Was that a military decision? You landed there? No, it's a love. It was a love decision. So I went to school out here. I went to college here and my husband and I were in the same freshman dorm. We dated all through, all through college, um, got jobs in Richmond. I wasn't planning to do ministry. Um, I got a job. He got a job. And the job that he got 26, I thought we would move. Like, I mean, I, I, the only thing I know is moving every few years. I just assumed you stop and then you, you know, you go somewhere else. And he got a job in a little startup company called CarMax. Oh, he wow. Still works there. So it was only no longer little stores. and no longer a startup. No longer little, no longer a startup. It was only six stores when he started. And it's been this just incredible part of our lives and like an incredible experience, incredible place to grow and learn. 
And so about 10 years ago, I realized, oh, we're not actually going to move. Like, we're not going to move. Like, Carmack's home office is here. This is where he's playing out his career. Maybe after his career, there might be a, a chance. But now I, I know what roots feel like. And I've raised mm. children here and invested in this community. And so it feels very much like a home for my family, even if and not have, exactly for me. Your, your kids, you have two teenage daughters. Three, three, three. two boys, one girl. So, oh. Yeah. A lot two, of boys. Two boys, one girl. Yeah. But they're all teens. Yeah. All teens. Yeah. Well, the oldest is 20 now. So 20, 18, 15. Wow. Yeah. I'm no, I'm my, my youngest is five. My eldest is 12. 12. Okay. I have yes. a 12 year old right. boy and yes. I have a five year old girl. I so love, love, the, love some boys. Love my girl. Love huge. being a mom. It's been, it's a, I love such a dramatically different so. experience. Five to 12 boy to girl. Um, yes. I'm but having, you're about I'm to come into your sweet spot, Justin, because I know you 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 grew up in student ministry. You're a young life guy. So yeah. I basically have my own youth group now. Like I literally <laughs> have my own, I'm like discipling my own youth group. So we have kids at the house all the time. Yeah. Uh, and it's like they're just the neighborhood kids. They're here all the yeah. time. And we'll we'll talk about this in a minute too. Like when like as institutional as our relationship with institutional practices of religion like devolved and yep. as that got weird, like it did for a lot of folks, um, the thing that the actual practice that replaced having like a thing to go to on Sunday or be responsible for, for God's sake on Sunday uh, is having like between six and 12, like between 10 and 13 year old kids sitting around our breakfast table uh, like I love this. Like, um, yeah. it's very much talk about home. Like this feels right to me. Yes. Yes. Um, let's talk about a little bit about like the, you, you said you, you mystical experiences with the Lord. Mm -hmm. One of the intersections, um, overlaps you, you work in and with is, um, religion, psychotherapy, yeah. in, the institutional practice of mental health, the institutional institutional practice of religion. Um, do you tend do you tend to lean? How should I ask this question? Do you tend to lean one way or another? In other words, do you come to the doorway of religious practice through like the the lens of mental health, or do you tend to see mental health in the context of, of religious practice? Like how how does that play out? Like for you mm. personally, yeah. As you're working out your life, is it more? Do you lean one way or the other, or like how does that actually play out? Yeah, I mean that's such a good. That's such a good question. I was, I'll answer it with a story um, Please. to see if this helps. So there's this, there's, have you heard of StoryCorps or One Small Step? No. It's Story StoryCorps is this national movement to capture living testimony of people's experiences. It's logged in the Library of Congress. Hmm. So you and I could have a StoryCorps interview where I talk to you about your experiences with forgiveness, like as my friend, and then it would be logged. And also it's kind of meta, they, they like grab the metadata and they use it in all these different ways. And NPR has a StoryCorps interview every Friday. That's, that's, um, okay, cool. you know, published. They, they started a thing called One Small Step where they thought in this divisive culture, what if we bring together people of different ideological beliefs who are strangers and we help them have a curated conversation so that they can basically the idea of, you know, um, social proximity actually creates better experiences. If you know someone who's different than you, it's yeah. much different than if you're just lobbing arguments over the, you know, yes. web space. Yes. So I, I meet with this woman and they have pegged me 
as a conservative evangelical Christian pastor. That's before the, you even show up. This is who you are. Right. So I fill out a value. I fill out this values questionnaire. I know that's what's going to happen. I know oh that's what gosh. they're doing. I know that's why they've selected me. So wow. I get on this call with this woman and we're talking and we spend an hour together and she says, you're so much more mystical and into the mystery of God than I was expecting. And I thought, yeah, I think that as we move toward Jesus, we will always move toward more mystery, more yeah. openness, more less attachment to things that fit in boxes, because I just don't think that God can be confined and contained in that way. And yeah. that's my experience. So when it comes to mental health and theology, to me, they're like a very blurry line. Now there's, there's always the edges of each that I think are maybe don't cross over, but I think that mental health uh, and our understanding of who God is, how God's designed us, what God has to say about human nature, like is so overlapped that mm. in my work as like a coach and consultant, what I discovered most is that I wish almost every pastor, I wish, I wish every pastor had a counseling degree <laughs> and maybe really? a lot less theology degrees. Like I just, yeah, I don't know how you engage with the care and shepherding of people without like a really strong practice of how I just had this conversation with, with uh, a friend of mine. He's also a client. He's now on the podcast. Uh, this guy named John Deloney. He works with Ramsey solutions. Talk about evangelical okay. culture. And he's a mental health guy. Um, he's, he's like, anyways, and part of what he said, and we really agreed on this. He said, he goes, I can't imagine actually trying to shepherd human beings in a religious context right now without doing the really deep study on brain science. Yeah. Like how do you how do you actually care for actual human beings now without understanding brain science? He he says it's it's spiritual malpractice. It's spiritual malpractice yeah. to not understand the human brain and try to lead people in a religious context. Yeah. Which is like that's as strong as I've heard it said, but I I I feel that uh, and I felt that for years where like, you know, even as someone who's who had pastored or help pastor church for 20 years, not knowing where you end, even yeah. in your expertise. So like you come up against the thing, like that's not for you. Yeah. And part of why we, part of why we cross those lines as pastors is we don't know where we end because we think it's all theology. We think it's all religion, yeah. which in some way maybe it is, but like with regards to expertise, there's this whole field of study and expertise that if you really want to care for folks, you you need to know this too. That trauma doesn't get worked out in the course of a 45 minute sermon. Yeah, exactly. Or, and it doesn't get worked out by, I actually just preached on fear and anxiety Sunday. And I stood up there and I was like, you guys, before I say anything, I want you to know as a therapist first, I understand that there are people in this room right now who have such incredible trauma that me even trying to make anxiety a spiritual issue is making you feel guilty. Like you, it is heaping shame upon shame. Like I, yeah. I need to at least acknowledge that while still trying to yeah. say also that believing that you have to live with as an anxious person and there's no solution and there's no, mm. there's no growth and no health and no healing and no hope is also not true. So how do we land in that middle space? But like, of course, in my practice, when I was working in local ministry as a, at a church, it just, I did have a deep passion to be like, we have got to know our limits yeah. as pastors and yeah. be humble enough to admit there are things that we will need to help shepherd you to someone else or into something else in order for you to grow or heal. Let's talk for a second in that, that for me springboards me into this, the, the conversation about the, the normalization of, of mental health 
as mm-hmm. a public conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of instead of setting up with with like my sweeping judgments, um, I'm just going to put it <laughs> on the table <laughs> and say, I, I would like to, I'd love to hear you talk about your experience mm-hmm. of the public conversation around mental uh, around and about mental health uh, on social media platforms. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, in podcasts, there's mm-hmm. a truckload more. I mean, I've, I, I, I grew up ADHD. I, I live with ADHD. I, the, the number of accounts available to me and doorways yes. to talk about, I wasn't even allowed. Like I was, I was like ashamed of it. Like, like, in, and now it's everywhere. Right. I'd love to hear you talk about the normalization of mental health pitfalls, mm. ad- advantages, it's a lot right now. Yeah. Good, bad. What's your experience? Yeah. Oh man. Um, gosh, what a great, these are such great questions, Justin. I'm like, oh. so I'm going to share, I'm just going to share my own personal thoughts, right. From yeah. being like, I'm 45. I didn't grow up in the digital age. Like I got email and instant messenger while I was in college. And so, it was magic. It was magical too. It, it was, was like, magic. You know, magic. I know it was totally like, magical. you know, I, I did the thing. I watched Bravo with my roommate on a TV. Like that's what we did, you know? So I just, <laughs> just, just help level set. Like, yes. but, but there's some things that are always true about human nature. Right. So yes. okay. on the one hand, I absolutely love the mental health conversation. I just love it. I love that people who are celebrated as people who have their lives put together, celebrities, athletes, whatever, are, 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 are open to say, I struggle with depression. I struggle with anxiety. On the one hand, I'm like, this is amazing. I'm so glad for this conversation. I love everything about this, particularly the part where people who maybe are idolized or set up as above others are willing to maybe humble themselves and, and, and speak openly about addiction, about all those things. Love that. On the other hand, I was just looking actually at something. So I get I get bombarded with Enneagram. That's Enneagram everywhere in my all my yes, feeds, right? I get that. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, how could we possibly think that I'm advancing the conversation with like a 15 second thing set to music or like a three carousel slide in something as nuanced and complicated as a human personality, the human yeah. soul and like how people grow. Yeah. And my concern is that we've like cheapened or created this, that, that we've created this superficial level that's just so um, ubiquitous yeah. and mm. free and available that it just, it's almost like I'm just feeding my soul like this junk food that's giving me this sense that I might be getting better, but that, the platform itself is not going to help anyone get better. It's actually working against the mm. very thing that people need. So the the attention economy is working exactly against what it would actually take to heal and grow through mental illness. So I feel very ambivalent and conflicted about like that yeah. part of the moment we're in. Yeah, same, same. I, 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 uh, I finished uh, Johan Hari's book, um, Stolen, Stolen Focus recently. And okay. it really, um, I am, and I choose to be a, a sort of um, like Disney-esque uh, it's all going to work out type person. Like I'm hyper positive. And that's very yeah. much like as someone just back into the Neogram for a moment, as someone who tests as a Neogram four lives in, you know, has thrived for years and years previously on melancholy. It's been a decision and a discipline to like, we're going to be great. This is going to be fantastic to live in that posture. Sure. 
And so when it, when it has specifically when it comes to online relationships, um, you know, whatever the stats are now, like 80% of social interaction or so or now is like over some device. Mm-hmm. I, I, like, I, I kind of got Pollyanna ish. Like, Hey, th- you know what? We're, we're like, Facebook is now like 18 years old. We're barely a teenager. Mm-hmm. We're learning and we'll, and we'll get better. Um, I'm not sure I buy that anymore because mm. because of um, because some because of the impact I see on folks, because some because I watch folks not transcend that that moment where they they identify so deeply with OCD uh, and then or with their personality type or with depression. They and and I keep coming back to that moment now after the Yoho and Hari book. Um, where Jesus stands stands at the water, uh, stands near the water and asks this guy who's been laying there for years, do you want to get well? And that used to be a cute kind of question like, hey, some of us really don't want to get well. And part of what I'm recognizing is like, there really is like this like addiction to trauma, yeah. to like that part of who I am is what's wrong with me and I actually mm-hmm. like it. Yeah. And it feels like... It, Maybe uh, this does go to a question. Uh, I think I'm right. Does it feel this way to you that part of what the machine needs is Instagram needs me to be addicted to that part of who I am so that it can keep feeding me the pleasure point of like, yes, you're broken in this particular way. Isn't that funny? I'm I'm like, is that your read too? Yeah. I mean, I I think I hadn't thought of it as what part is you know Instagram the 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 enemy or whatever the villain side of Instagram playing into that but what we know is that anything that feels personal to us I mean we all know this this is like go back to like quizzes whatever quizzes in 17 magazine all of us want to feel like something's being fed to us that's personally about us it's going to make it's going to be this is for me uniquely uniquely for me there's nothing that social media is better than doing than shaping an algorithm to make you feel like it's uniquely about you. And so yes. when it's, oh my gosh, I have anxiety. Well, great. Now I have all of these things that are telling me how this is uniquely about me. And I feel whatever I feel understood or comfortable or safe or whatever, but is it actually healing anyone or helping anyone grow? And the problem I have is that the platform is no longer launching people into in, in-person relationships, right? Yes. Like, Right. We've now like gotten to know like this is this is the relationship and there is nothing. Yes. It, it, so it now, sends you back to itself. It right. feeds you exactly. to itself. It is exactly. a product that's selling exactly. you on itself. You do have yeah. a halo. There's kind of like a thing going on there. That's, I'm speaking. I was speaking from on high at that point. That was, was pathetic. Yeah, was, now well, that, we'll make sure me. we bookmark that section. <laughs> this actually takes us right to your most recent published effort. Um, the miracle moment. Yep. And um, one of the uh, one of the the bits you write is, is when you talk about hope, because that's the thing I think. It is the it is um, it's the it's the word I'm using to speak at what seems missing in the conversation mm. about religious mm. trauma, about mm-hmm. mental health is yeah. a kind of hopelessness. Not and it's yes. not, not even like hey things are broken. Oh my gosh, this is awful. It's more like you're broken. Isn't that funny? Is mm. like you're broken. Isn't that neat? Isn't it fascinating mm-hmm. how your OCD keeps you from, you know, like it's it's just fascinating. It's just interesting, which is like the worst form of hopelessness. Which <laughs> is like yeah, how neat. Exactly. 
Um, and you write about hope. You said hope means that what feels broken and useless today can become powerful and helpful tomorrow. Hope means that what's messed up can be restored. Hope means we can approach our mistakes with curiosity, persevere through the chaos, celebrate small change, and believe in more. This is sort of this is toward, kind of towards the heart of your book. Mm -hmm. Is in the recognition of these moments you call it the, the sort of miracle moment of recognition. How do you coach, train, move people? How are you different than Instagram? Is the question. How in what way? In what way do you differ? Uh, but like, how do you move someone from the recognition of like a, like a sincere recognition mm -hmm. of like ill patterns or like you know or or something like ADHD where it's like yeah. this is actually just chemically, societally, emotionally part of who I am right. towards hope for change. What does that look like in practice for yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when I think about the piece of all of that relationship toolkit that is Miracle Moment, the piece that I come back to again and again that I find myself when someone comes up to me after I preach or retreat or something and I'm like, here, can I just tell you one thing? Like, there's just one thing for you to know. And the one thing for me is hope for a preferred person that you mm. want to be. Like, I, I feel like what we've lost in our culture in this apathetic like acceptance, but not the best kind of acceptance, this sort of like settle, I'm gonna just settle that mm. this is as good as it gets. Yeah. I just feel yeah. like that's what a lot of people are like. I'm settling this, I'm gonna make this TikTok video about my OCD morning routine, and that's as good as it's gonna get, right? Yeah. Um, it's like the dark side it's, to it's okay, it's okay to not be okay. Like it is. Yeah, yeah. Just don't it stay. is. Yeah, exactly. And but to me, it's like Justin, like. What do you want people to say about you at your 90th birthday party? Yeah. Like, what do you, I don't, not your job, not your accomplishments. Not, what are the words that you want said about you? And it's like, if people yeah. can get their hearts ignited around the person that they actually want to become, it's about giving them the vision for who they want to become and handing them back their agency to begin to move and work toward becoming that person. Like that's, See, That's I mean, this I'm is this is with. the reframing. And this is a lot of what, a lot of why I like what you do is the, the reframing uh, is, is around like whole personhood as opposed to a, like, again, the over-identification with, uh, with what's, uh, what's, what's wrong with you. So Eugene, yes. Eugene Peterson, I think it's in the book, um, the pastor, which is one of my favorite books of his. Oh, I love that book so and, much. And part of his critique of mental health culture and of psychotherapy is, and he doesn't mean it as a negative. He just like, here's a limitation of the thing. And whether he's right or wrong, I don't know. But his critique was that you in psychotherapy, you are what's wrong with you. The 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 like the, the, the relationship you have with your therapist is predicated upon your dysfunction. Right. Um part of what really works for me in terms of how you do what you do, um, is that that is an element of of becoming healthy, is the recognition of like this hurts. I the this ouch. Yeah. But framing like if if this is if this is not okay, it's only not okay in like that is a shadow of like what good would be. If this mm -hmm. is unhealthy, then you do have some clue as to what health would look like. And years ago we did a we did a um an event here in Concord with some folks who were working with Facebook and Google and Twitter, and they're taking them on, on these like analog retreats where like they were getting people out of Silicon Valley to go. It was mm. funny. It was like, where the church has been doing this for 1500 years, but thank God there's someone in Silicon Valley. Um, 
like take them away. You put down your devices and like all the games are hands on. Yeah. And uh, and sitting on the stage with the person who ran this thing called Digital Detox was a guy named Mark Laberton, who was uh, the president of Fuller. And Mark listened to this to this person presenting like there are all these issues with what you know with, with what tech is doing to people, et cetera. And Mark said really lovingly and caringly, because he's brilliant at this. He says, you know, the thing that ends up missing from your conversation is a vision for what health actually looks like. Mm-hmm. Like we we missed mm. like this is what a healthy person actually looks like. That that vision doesn't stem from psychotherapy. That's a religious perspective. Like this, mm-hmm. to, like health. In it, like this is what full humanity looks like. That's a religious ideology. That's like a religious vision. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's a that is a that is where we get into like a belief system, right? To go back to circle all the way back to our beginning conversation about Jesus standing by the beautiful pool and asking this man, "Do you want to be well?" Jesus comes and gives a picture of what good life looks like. Like yeah. this is the kingdom of heaven. This is what it looks like to operate in perfect communion with your spiritual parent. This yeah. is what you would be like. Then he says, do you want to get well? So like, it is those two things. It's vision and agency that I think are missing in maybe a more traditional evangelical like culture that yeah. it, it, to me is like what this thing's all about. Like yeah. that's what, that's what Jesus is all about. Can, can churches and I don't mean the church, I mean ch- churches. Can churches be helpful in that process now? Like the way things work now, not not in theory. You're a granular person. You do nitty gritty stuff. The way churches on the whole work now, can churches be a place now where folks can enter in and develop a vision for health and wholeness and humanity? Or like is part of the movement away from church culturally exactly that they don't like that's one of the questions now is like is the no church i think churches absolutely can do this a hundred percent talk about it so for I, I don't think they're doing it i don't they, think they're yeah. necessarily doing it but i think they absolutely could i mean if you think about the church as a place where environments are created to experience god and to be in in rhythms and habits that create healthy life like, I'm not saying that's what the church is doing, but if you think of the church that way, environments are created and experiences are created that we know actually create psychological health. It's unbelievable. The number of studies that connect in every, I can't, I can't even teach anything without it being like, and here's a study that talks exactly about what this yep. is talking about in the Bible, right? Yeah. So if we could make that connection, if churches could return to places where people actually have community, where the the kind of community that is created, like the only place, one of the things I've said about the reason I can't give up on church is because church to me is the only place where you bring together people who for no other reason would be together. So back in my student ministry days, I remember one time going to Costco specifically. I was at Costco. My 53-year-old like mentor pastor was with me. My 22-year-old younger staff person guy was with me who did middle school. And my four-year-old son was with me. Yeah. People were looking at us like, who, what is that family is this, unit? Like, who are What kind of gang people? is this? And like, why are they buying like four, you know, like four cases of Snapple? Somebody asked us if we were starting a store. You know, it just was one of those moments where I'm like, the yeah. church is altogether unique. It mm. creates familial connections where there is not familial connections, right? Mm. So if you think about the moment we're in culturally, what the church is actually supposed to be, it is the answer. Like if it was, if it was, to, if it was yeah. doing the fullness and flourishing. Now, 
if it's going to elevate celebrity, if it's going to operate like a corporation, if it's yeah. going to think of people and economy of scale as the most important, then no, it's not going to do it. It's yeah. not at all. It's going to be completely, completely eroded. And it is corrupted. the thing. That, it is the thing that pops up for me oftentimes when, and it and it pops up as a sadness when I'll I'll read yeah. studies, or I'll read. I don't know if you've read. I keep referencing that they're in my head. The Johan Hari books, the one called um, Lost Connection. I think it's called Lost Connection. No, but I'm like very intrigued now. I've not I think read you any, would love, anything. I think you would him. love both yeah. the books. Uh, Stolen Focus and I think Lost Connections. He couches uh, depression uh, as uh, is like, it doesn't like throw away the science at all. He said, but you know, the, the larger societal factors that, that depression ends up being an expression of like lost connections, the things you connection mm -hmm. with your work, meaningful work, connection with actual meaningful relationship. And this is like, as I'm listening to him walk through like all the connections that yep. a human soul person needs in order to live outside of, of a pattern of depression. I'm like, well, shit, we were supposed <laughs> to do that. And it's like, what are we like? We have the juice and we're not doing the thing, but like it, it, it like, it's this, and I, sometimes I'm just projecting cause it's like what I wished I could have done as a pastor and done better. Yeah. But there really is like, there really is a sadness. I experience a sadness when I hear these really articulate critiques of um, what is a miss yeah. uh, in human in the human soul or among among kids, especially now, societally. And then I look at the the thing that, and I'll just I'll do the big capital W for just a second. The thing that we have become mechanically, yeah, um, the machinery we built instead of the other thing that we like we're asked to do it grieves yeah. me it like drives me drives me crazy you've you vocally keep going back to like this thing is important um is that part of a mission for you like like is like trying like trying to keep people from just bouncing on the thing like helping people reconnect with communities twice? no yeah i just i i'm in such a per like a place of personal transition maybe maybe like you, I mean, I came, I came to a time about five years ago where I was like, I'm not living in my own personal values. I, I have mm. to finish well with my kids. I just, I have to. And that led to a whole series of, of decisions and difficulties. But when I have six, 18 year old girls around my kitchen counter, or we started young life at this, at our kids, like nerdy school, they always said it would never work surprise we prayed about it for two years and all of a sudden it. we've got staff and 30 kids in our house Beautiful. on a Thursday morning fantastic and I'm like no like mm. the hope of Jesus will never will always advance yeah I have to be okay and grieve my my place in it and really humble myself to say like my place in it might be showing up at these sports games and making breakfast for these kids and elevating these other volunteers into these roles outside of an institution, really. I mean, just really in, in the mix of life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't, to be continued. I, I'm yeah. sort of in this like pause, um, but I, I keep looking and I keep asking God, but what are you opening up yeah. because I'm not wearing that title? Yeah. What are you doing because I'm not, in this shepherding this flock in this particular way and yep. what keeps coming to me is 
tons of people I keep marrying. I keep officiating their weddings. Tons of people who are like, can you just talk to me? Tons, you know, you get all yep. of this like 100%. freelance stuff. Freelance pastoral. Freelance, work. yeah, I'd say, yes. I, I tell people that. Totally. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm actually a freelance pastor. I, that's what I do. I'm a free yeah. agent. So, um, which is funny in my denomination, my actual title is Teaching Elder Out of Bounds, which as a rebel at heart. <laughs> that's is, in the title? Yeah, Out of Bounds. It's exactly, so I'm like, great. it's like, you know me. This is, that is what I am. I am out of bounds. Like, what's and... Nicole doing? We don't know, and we're not in charge of it. We have no idea, actually. <laughs> she's okay. not in our. I don't know. She's not, out not in bounds. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I think we'll see. And sometimes I like. I'm like, Lord, are you going to do something? Am I going to be like a 75 year old grandma who like starts a church? Maybe. I yeah. don't know. We'll see. Maybe. Who knows? Um, the the weight of uh the work you do, the weight of the conversations you're you're in a part. Like, how? What is you? What is? What does your health uh, practice look like? So mm. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning away from the question, like, how do you stay healthy? Cause yeah. it ends up, cause the predication of that is like, you're on the precipice you of falling healthy. apart. Oh. Um, like, and someone pointed out to, out to me, I was like, Oh, I don't mean to say that at all. But like, so talk about your health practices. The, the book I sent you, um, of mine is about this, the, the, the rhythm and tension between, yeah. between work and rest that like you, like I do, I love, the work I do. Yeah. And there is a fullness of life that I experience in my work. There's a connection with, with Christ. I experience in my work that mm-hmm. I wouldn't experience otherwise. I've learned, uh, to, to be met by God in, in rest, but there's, there's this sort of rhythm and tension. I've had to work on the, the rest practice. Mm-hmm. What does your rest practice look like? What is your, what does your like life pattern look like, like in health? Yeah. Oh, and I, I I resonate so much with everything that you wrote. You know, it's really interesting when you 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 really sense closeness with the Lord in your work, and can kind of slip away from like what does it mean to just rest in God and rest with God? What does it mean for God to speak to me in a way that I don't need to like package up and give to somebody else? Um, so that's been a real place of growth, I'd say, in the last few years, and a place I'm still growing. And I will always, always, it's always going to be a tendency, right, to to overwork, to over identify yeah. with achievement. Absolutely. Um, but think a couple of things that are really important to me. I'm I'm more mindful of looking at my schedule ahead, hmm. and 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 not getting into a pattern where I go two weeks and I have work every day, or looking ahead and being like okay, I know myself well enough to know that if I'm going to preach on a Sunday, I'm actually going to be pretty emotionally low on a Tuesday. Yeah. So what am I going to do to care for myself knowing that that's coming? Like, how could I not be surprised by that? How could I like, let it be okay to take a nap that day? Like, what do I do to change my practice to actually Mm -hmm. show compassion for my own soul? Um, Because my mind and heart will outpace my body like nonstop. Yep. So those are some of those things that I do. Um, I, I, I realized that I was growing resentful of wanting to control my family into practices um, like Sabbath a certain way mm. and was, was sort of letting myself be a victim of my own culture and environment rather yeah. than, you know, putting my own words into action and being like, well, the person that you the person that's feeling convicted about Sabbath is you. So why don't you practice Sabbath? Like instead of trying to like control everybody else into a certain way. So I'm pretty, I'm pretty um, clear with myself about that 24 hour time period and what that looks like and means. And I like to say that Sabbath is taking a break from feeling bad about yourself. Um, Hmm. 
That's good. And so anything, and that's a very like Enneagram three thing to yeah. say, but basically anything that's about improving, criticizing, performing, doing things like if I'm working out because it's about how I need to show up, look, do, yeah. then don't do it. Yeah. Like if I was going to run because of that, well, then take a walk. You know, like yeah. what do you do to actually, and I, I actually taught this one time in a women's group, the number of women who started crying when I said, why don't you take a, what would it be like to take a break from feeling bad about yourself for a day was shocking. Yeah. And so that, I, those are those things that I'm outside. I make sure I spend time in nature, huge, yeah. important thing. For I was going to ask you um, that really specifically in terms of like, mm -hmm. you mentioned that the sense of home has a lot to do with. Yeah. Um, I think there was mimic the, the, um, like your actual experience physically outdoors. Yeah. You're, you run, you jog, you bike, like what's, what's your outdoors yeah, I run. thing? How often are you do um, I had a friend of mine say that her spiritual practice is getting to a place where she can't tell what year it is. Um, <laughs> that's absolutely that's like a beautiful descriptor. So we moved into our city, uh, six months ago, big change live like downtown. So, but I can run to a park with three lakes and trees, and you feel like you could be anywhere yeah. within a mile. Um, so I, I have to get somewhere to steal my friend's phrase where I can't tell what year it is. That's good. And there's something about the settling and grounding. I also have a strange, quirky habit of I like always touch a tree whenever I like fly somewhere and I'm in like a new place. Yeah. I like find a tree and I'm like, hello, tree. I am Same here. Thing. I am now in Portland. I am now in San Francisco. Like yeah. just try to like connect and ground myself with where I am so that I can be present. It's one of my, it's one of my regular practices. And um, sometimes it's rough depending on what time I get in, but like getting some form of like physical exercise in this, in, yeah. if, when I'm traveling, once I, it's part of like fully arriving. Yeah. Is actually like physically being like intentionally physically being in the space. And then I feel like yeah. I'm actually there because I don't. Same. I don't feel like I'm all the way there if I don't do that. Like I'm, I'm still on a plane or I'm yeah. still like in Martinez. Yeah. Um, last little question. Um, it's not all that little, but um, 45 now, 15 years from now. Um, and I'll, I'll set this up 15 years from now. What is, what is, what do you hope life looks like? If, if things work out the way you want them to, Mm -hmm. um, work, family, personal development. Uh, this comes from, um, years ago, many years ago. Now my, uh, the friend and mentor named Frank Tate, who ran the record label I signed with in 1944 or whatever. Um, <laughs> he took me to this showcase, um, in Nashville, Tennessee and put me up in front of all these like label people and said, this is Justin McRoberts. Um, he's the artist we're going to be focusing on this year. And he's not very good right now. Like says this to the room full of people, like says like he's bad, like to them, then their faces do the thing. Um, and he said, but um, I think Justin will be making music 15, 20 years from now. And I think that stuff's going to be great. So I'm making a long-term investment. And if you want to make it with me, great. And if you don't, I don't care. And then he left the stage and I had to play some crap song. Um, but what that did for me was it reset um it, it 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 provided a framework an external framework by which like i was no longer as worried about my next like i could take mm. my next steps because it wasn't the only damn step i was going to take like there were many 15 years from now um 
what will have like what would be the markers for like this worked out these investments worked out these decisions mm. worked out like how will you know how will you want to know 15 years from now that the time the energy you're putting in now in your personal development on in parenting in your work like what will life look like 15 years mm. from now at 60 man i think there's no greater fruit in ministry than people so 15 years from now, I hope that first of all, like almost all the work I do involves partnering, like with people mm. who are younger, I think for sure. I think the other thing is that, and I've experienced just a, a, just a taste of this through that, doing that young leaders residency program and like yeah. fast forward, it's been 10, it'll be 10 years um, next year. So I've gotten to see these leaders like become, you know, more and, and grow in who they are and in their relationship with the Lord. And it's so fulfilling so mm. all i can think of is i hope i'm still writing and i hope i'm pursuing more and more creative pursuits i think that's a beautiful thing about yeah. getting older it, you see yes. it is like this is a way that people like their totally. whole world sort of right yep. goes and i hope that i am in a place where i get to celebrate and cheerlead for incredible yeah. leaders who step up and take the baton in, in whatever industry they're in you know i love that that's great thank you for your time yeah it's great thank you justin appreciate it yeah and thank you for listening to this episode of the at sea podcast if you would like to follow up with nicole Eunice, you can visit her at nicoleunice.com that is n-i-c-o-l-e-u-n-i-c-e.com and from there you can navigate to uh to her books you can navigate to her podcast and uh, her coaching schedule her speaking schedule uh, and, and her blog. There's a truckload of uh, a resource here. If, on the other hand, you would like to become one of the folks who helps this podcast uh, happen, thrive, and deepen, you can visit me at patreon.com backslash Justin McRoberts. I'd love to have you on the team. All right, until next time.